Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. To me, I took it as an insult. Okay, so you're putting this rule in because you think that I that's the only way I can play and that it's going to slow me down. If I was playing in today's game, I'm coming out of every game and I'm not lying, it would at least two interceptions <laughs> not more. I mean, 1976 was probably the best team we ever had, even though we didn't win a Super Bowl. But I think Dion being at an HBCU is really huge for the historical black colleges. Yo, welcome to All Things Covered with Patrick Peterson and Bryant McFadden, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. The name says it all. If you like what you hear, make sure you leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can also watch us. Just visit youtube.com slash all things covered. So make sure you subscribe and turn on your alerts so you can get the show right away. Pat P, man, what are we going to cover in this episode? Hey, yo, Matt, we went from a legendary coach last week to legendary cornerback this week. And I'm talking about a stiller great. They had to change the rules for this guy. No question. Everybody should know this guy named Mel Blunt. He on the show coming up next. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. You guys know what time it is. First quarter. Here's where we chop it up. This is a very, very important week for a lot of individuals associated with the NFL, not just for players currently involved in the NFL. Right. Well, what about the fans, the fan, the different fan bases that are associated with teams, organization, hoping their favorite team go out and sign a big name player, a mega superstar, a productive player. But our very own Pat Peterson, P2 Nation, he is now on the clock, as they say. He's currently a free agent. And as you guys can see, for the ones that are watching us on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can see myself and Pat P. He's not in vacation mode, but he's in off-season mode. <laughs> he has a nice background behind him. The scenery looks lovely. But as he sits in that nice scenery, he's currently a free agent. So I would love to hear the feeling that you have, Pat P, knowing this is the very, very first time you've ever became you know you ever became a free agent because early in your career after your rookie deal they signed an extension so you never you never hit the market so what is the feeling like for you knowing that you're uh you currently you know unrestricted free agent uh well no you know mac you know just taking a day at a time you know um the thing i do know that i will be playing you know somewhere this this season you know so at the end of the day you know just control what i can control you know and that's that's being patient and just and just waiting to the to the right team give us that give me that call. You know, we got a couple of teams on the hook right now. I don't want to say who, but you know, we got a couple of teams out there right now. So, you know, it should happen pretty quickly, so stay tuned. Well, I know you can't say anything, but can I give my fan opinion on <laughs> the teams that probably would look to acquire Patrick Peterson? Is that okay? Uh, that's fine with me. All right, my Everybody number one Everybody got their opinion. Oh, yeah, everybody has an opinion. My number one would be the Arizona Cardinals, of course, you know, trying to lock you back up in the desert. I think that only makes sense, right? That only makes sense. My number two would be the New York Jets. 
They have a lot of funds available. They need to spend that money. And I think bringing in a, a, an elite guy like yourself, a veteran leader, instantly would change the makeup of their locker room. So I think that only makes sense because of the funds they have available. And then we know they've been a bottom dweller team for quite some time. My right. number three, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That only makes sense because Bruce Arians loves you like a child, like, like you was his son or something <laughs> like that. Then you got Todd Bowles, who loves you dearly, your DB uh-huh. coach. Everybody on that staff loves Pat P. So I think that only makes sense. And that's uh-huh. your home state. That's yeah. huge, your home yeah. state. And then the last team, and knowing how the free agent market works in the National Football League, there's always a team in your division always a that tries. <laughs> there's always a sleeping team in your division that tries to take an opposing player away from a rival. And I think mm-hmm. that team in your division would be the San Francisco 49ers. So that's my top four for Pat Pete. Arizona, okay. <laughs> the Jets, Tampa, and San Fran. So as time goes by, and eventually Pat P signs with the team. Let's see how close I was with my top four. <laughs> All right. Stay tuned for that. Now it's time for Around the League. And it seems like every week the nfl is winning when it comes to stealing headlines i mean for us it's a great (laughs) benefit for us to have right pat p because we have a lot to talk about a lot of unexpected news to talk about to say the least and once again the nfl came through in the clutch with stealing the headlines drew Brees, a guy that you know you have you 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 had a lot of great things to say about drew Brees on one of our past episodes uh he officially retired and when you look at drew Brees as an nfl quarterback when you look at everything that he's he's done in his professional career for mo- for two organizations, when you think about Drew Brees, what do you think about his legacy? Oh man, he, his legacy is what every quarterback should want their legacy to be. You know what I mean? As far as the yardage, you know, the accolades, as far as you know, the Super Bowls, the thirteen-time Pro Bowler, two thousand four Comeback Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's pat- like I think leading the league and and all time passing yards, being able to you know work with what he had. You know, always told that he was too small, arm wasn't big enough, and, and to end up being at the end of his career leading the league all time. You know, hundred plus years of football, having eighty eighty thousand plus yards in the, throughout the through the air. So his legacy is what every quarterback should want their legacy to you know be once they're done. You know, mm-hmm. got a Super Bowl. You know, got a Walter Payton Man of the Year. Yeah. So, and but what he's a, what he what he was able to do for you know both organizations that he played for, but what he was able to do for the Saints, that was just remarkable. So, man, shout out to Drew, man. He done nothing but great. Thanks to Drew for doing you know all the things that he helped little ones throughout the the city of New Orleans, giving them yeah. hope. Man, just, just, just giving that, just that city in, in general, just the faith and believe in themselves that, you know, they can be better at whatever they put their minds to. So, you know, that, 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 like I said before, that dude is like God there, man. So they, they definitely appreciate Drew and, you know, thank him for everything that he's done for that city. But, um, he's the man, Drew the man, man. He went out the right way. You know, I'm, I was hoping he, you know, went a little deeper in the playoffs, got an opportunity to, to, to play in the big one. I was hoping it was going to be obviously the the, the rankings didn't fall the way it wanted to, but the NFC Championship, Drew Brees and Brady, how cool that would have been! Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for <laughs> such a NFC long time, they played in different conferences, and now right. they're in the same conference, heck, the same division. Yeah. So that would have been. I mean, and that game was still well. That's that game was still good. Obviously, yeah, the playoff Brady game came out on top. 
Yeah. But if it would have been like for the NFC Championship, that probably would have been the most watched thing ever. Yeah. More of the story. Drew Brees is a GOAT. I think he was one of the more undervalued players in the National Football League throughout his professional football career. You know, put up prolific numbers in high school in Texas, only had two offers. Then he goes second in the second round of San Diego. In the 2004 draft, they drafted Phillip Rivers to basically move Drew Brees out of the way. He just can, mm-hmm. kind of can, can consistently defy the odds. And to this point, like I said, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And, and the oh, yeah. thing you said that I definitely agree with, Pat, what he, what he meant and what he still means to the city of New Orleans. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? During that tragedy of her, Hurricane Katrina and how he kind of gathered everybody together on one accord and they became a relevant team during that time right speaks volume about who he is as a leader and as a, as a player yeah. so shout yeah, out to drew Brees, man outstanding career man we tip your hats we tip our hats to you now it's time for my favorite part of the show it's called has pat heard if you're new to the show new to the concept of the show we decided to implement this part in our show because right now it's the off season and pat usually moves around a lot during the off season. And when he's moving around, he's not really keeping his ear to the streets when it comes to sports, when it comes to football. So we decided to add this part to the show to see exactly has Pat heard his overall record last week. He didn't have a good week. I think he was all for three, if I'm not mistaken, mm. all for, for three last week. <laughs> we had some funny parts of the show uh, regarding that segment. And if you missed it, you can always check our feedback and go back and listen to that show. But it was an outstanding show when it came to has Pat Herb. His overall record, listeners and viewers, is nine and seventeen. Nine and seventeen. So, you know, he's 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 doing pretty good. You know what I mean? He's doing pretty good. Let's see, can he improve uh with to his can he improve uh, with his overall record? The first question for has Pat Herb. Ah, this is a funny one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Tays- see if I heard this did, one. Did you hear about Taysom Hill's new contract? Uh-uh. You see, well, man, I'm not even in the country right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you ready? You you are you ready to hear his new contract? Yeah, well, okay. So when Drew Brees retired, take, uh, they 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 read up Tatum. Yeah, they, 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 they gave him a new, take a wild guess. What they do, man? No, tell me they gave him man like seventeen million dollars, man. Huh? Oh, you did. You all the way low. Uh, low. <laughs> yeah, you low, low. You too low. You tried Taysom. You talk about 17. You tripping. Taysom say, man, Pat, you tripping. What do you got? Take four year extension, 140 million. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shit. But. But there's one caveat. There's a big caveat to the entire contract. They did it to free up cap space because, you know, they were they were handcuffed when it came to the cap. It's not a real 140. It's, they, they had to do that to kind of move the maneuver, the, the numbers a little bit. So it's fully voidable. So it's basically a one-year deal. So it's not 140. It's basically a one-year deal. Every year is voidable, to say the least. Okay. Jesus but, Christ. Yeah, but that reaction, <laughs> your reaction, Peppy, was, was the majority. When people either heard or saw that, <laughs> four year 140? Taysom Hill? Yes. Damn. Four year 140, uh, $140 million dollar extension. Just to maneuver the cap though. That's all. That's all they did. So it's not a legit $140 million deal. Okay. But your reaction was priceless. So the next question, so you got that one wrong. You got the Taysom Hill wrong. Damn. All right. The next question for you. 
Cam Newton is heading back to the Patriots. I did see that. Okay. All right. You got that one right. I did see that. I did see that. It's mostly an incentive-laden contract. Uh, he can make an extra six point six million if he starts all season. He can make an extra eight point six million if he starts and they make the playoffs. His roster, uh, he will earn five million if he's on the roster. So with all the incentives, it's almost fourteen million. I think that's a good move for the Patriots and for Cam. Yeah. The last question for you. Now this is a tricky one, Pat P. This is a tricky one. With okay. Selection Sunday that just happened this this happened this past Sunday, NCAA mm-hmm. college basketball March Madness is here. All right. Oh man, I ain't, I ain't had nothing about the NCAA. So, but go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> you didn't let me ask you a question. I, but go I, ahead. I know I ain't had nothing about no okay. college basketball. But Every year we all know there are four number one seeds. So this is a two part mm-hmm. question for you. You can either oh, or. I'm lying. Can you give me one? Can you give me one of the number one seeds? It's four. Yeah, can you give me yeah. one of the number one seeds, yeah. or can you tell me? What seed LSU has? No, I definitely can't tell you LSU seed. I know that. I'm not even going to try. But surprisingly, freaking Alabama's number one. They must no, 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 be playing no, no. some ball. They were number ball. one in the SEC. They won the SEC. Oh, that was SEC ball. I, I, I glimpsed that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, but they're like, not a number one seed. Okay, I was like, damn, Bama balling like that? But okay. Yeah, football and basketball, um, right? And also, I was a uh, shout-out to Pat Ewan, man. Uh, for winning the uh, Big East, yeah, yes, winning sir. the Big East, yes sir. Because I, I saw, because uh, I saw they kicked the man out of the uh, Madison Square Garden for some yeah, they reason. They had to, the security told Pat, "We need to see your ID." He told Pat, "You and that? Yeah, we, we need to see your ID." Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right. Back to the question. No. And Bama uh, is a is a fifth seed. Bama is a fifth seed. Okay. If I had to take a wild guess, Gonzaga got to be Ooh. one of the four. That's a good guess. Yeah, you got it. You got, yeah, you're always, right. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. Listen, Gonzaga was undefeated this season, my mistake. Hey, Gonzaga, uh, uh, Villanova, you can't go wrong with guessing with one of them two. Well, you got, Villanova clearly is not a number one seed, but Gonzaga, so the other three. Back, yeah, back, back there. So, so, so let, let me give you other three. Let me take some wild guess. Oh, let me take some wild oh, guess. Oh, you were okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go. Baylor was balling last year. But did they make it this year? Baylor? Were they pretty okay. good this year? Yeah, you got Baylor. Baylor's okay. is, is another one. <laughs> All right. Baylor was good last year. Um, I got two more. These two, I'll give you a hint. These okay. two are coming from the can- same conference. Same conference? Yes, so you sir. almost said Kansas, so I'm gonna say Kansas. No, Kansas, Kansas oh, was bad right, this cool. year. Oh, I thought you said, I thought you all slipped up and gave me the answer. Uh, they came from the same conference. You said Alabama was fifth, so it's not it was the best basketball I've seen. Is Georgia any good this year? Nope. Okay, so I don't know the other two then. Ill- Illinois and Michigan. Oh, Illinois and Michigan. Okay. Yep, that's a pretty tough one. Okay. Well, you got you got yeah. Gonzaga and you got Baylor right, so okay. Yeah. So you 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 were what? <laughs> two, two and four. one. How many? Oh, games I was, you, get? you gave me four, but I was two for four for that question. Oh no, I got it right because you said one. Yeah, well, you yeah, yes, you got sir, it right. I, you got it right. I only got one right. One for four. One wrong. You got the Taysom Hill four for four year one forty. You got oh, you got that one wrong. I ain't heard that. Yeah, I ain't heard that. <laughs> Pat, <laughs> you said, what? Yeah, I'm fucking paid. Pat, you had a good day and has Pat heard? All right. All right. And real quick, talking about March Madness, we got a promo going. Speaking of March Madness, we want to compete against our listeners to see who can fill out the best bracket. 
Join us at cbssports.com slash ATC brackets. The link will also be in the episode description. There will be a big time prize. I repeat, a big time prize. And who enters just one pool? You can also create a group to compete against friends and fill out your bracket for the chance to win a Nissan Rogue and a trip to Uh-oh. the 2022 Final Four. You can play on CBS Sports app or at cbssports.com slash ATC brackets. Now, we're getting close to halftime. And make sure you guys stay tuned on the opposite side of the half. Man, legendary. Mel Blunt. Steeler Nation, stand up, stand up, stand up. Yeah, stand up. Mel Blunt will be joining us on the opposite side of hat of the half. So stay tuned with us, Pat P. All things covered. We talking about the goat, the goat, the goat. We had a goat last week in Nick Saban. We got another goat coming right now in Mel Blunt. So make sure you stay right tuned. Back but, at you. but before we get to halftime, you guys know what time it is. 21 questions. 21 questions because Pat P wears number 21. We've been getting big time questions for you guys. We thank you for listening to the show, for watching, watching the show and always providing us nice questions. Uh, 21 questions. Like I said, here's a chance for us to interact with you, the fan, the listeners, the viewers. If you want your question to be answered, uh, in the future, leave a question attached to a five star review on Apple podcasts and we may get to it on our show. This question comes from Parker Smith. Shout out to Parker. Thank you for your question. It is for both of us. Oh, this is a good one, Pat P. If you can name the top five corners to play, who would they be and what aspect of their games made them so great? Huge fan of the show and of both of you guys. Follow both of your careers all the way. Love every second of it. Thank you, Parker Smith. Thank you for being a big fan of the show. And thank you for this question. Pat P, you go first. Your top five corners. To ever, time. Yes, to ever play in the National Football League and what aspect of their game made them great? Uh, all right. I don't have no particular order. I, I can't go one, two, three, four, five, but I'm going to name some names. Cause my five. five corners that I like. We got Mel, who we, who's, uh, obviously, who's, who's going to be a guest on the show. But what I liked about Mel, like you said, they changed, they had to change the game for Mel. You know, he just how aggressive he was at the line of scrimmage, how he was able to, disrupt the uh the timing between the quarterback and the receiving back then, you know, press wasn't like a, a big thing. Like, you know, everybody was just playing off, just kind of shadowing and running with the receiver. No, um, Mel obviously went into the lab and did something. He he had a leg up on everybody because once this once he once he put that technique on film, you know, everybody, you know, that that pretty much created the deep press. Obviously, you know, I got to have my boy Prime in there, just how electric he was, the excitement that he brought to the game, his return ability. Um, you know, Prime was an offensive guy on defense, you know, obviously playing offense in the league, something that, you know, I had aspirations of doing. And I, I did that, I had a couple of plays on the VA. Um, so Prime, to me, changed the game for guys who wanted to touch the ball. You know what I mean? So guys who had aspirations of, scoring but didn't want to play offense power made cornerback fun he made it to be like that position my third one like i said this is no particular order so i don't want nobody coming at my neck i'm just giving my top my my top corner your top, top five. five my my top my top five corner my five corners that come to my head charles woodson um charles woodson was a, a utility guy you know you can move him play him everywhere play him inside outside later this year play safety and he was another guy too that was a defensive, an offensive minded guy playing defense. You know, Charles had 50 plus interceptions in the league 
eight plus return to the crib. You know, just some of the things that he was able to do. And he was just so smooth. Smart. Charles was never like really flashy, but he got the job done. You know what I mean? He was just I always called him Uncle Charles because he was like just like an uncle on under the under the shade on the tree, like laid back with his kick with his kick uh his feet kicked up, just chilling. And, and, and but he was just so smart and so instinctive to where he always knew where the ball was going to be. For Rod Woodson, um, Rod was very, very special. Rod is me and Rod actually share something. We have something to come common being, you know, being the only two players as of far as my notice. I know it's been like this for a while to be the only two corners to make all pro and do two different positions as far as a punt returner and being in, um, in a cornerback as well. But Rod, he's just like, you know, all four, three of those guys are just staying combined in one. You know, Rod was a great press guy, raw technique at the at the line of scrimmage as far as what he was able to do and the speed that he had and just how smart that he was around the ball. And he was another guy that could play inside and out as well. Later in his year, I believe when he played with Oakland, he played a little bit of inside, played a little bit of safety when he got to Baltimore, played a little bit all over the place as well. And the last one, I got to go with the OG and Willie Brown, who pretty much, you know, got this started for all of us, man. Willie OG Brown, you know, he was a guy that, you know, that had that press and had that, that long, you know, aggressive mentality at the cornerback position as well. I know a lot of, a lot of our younger listeners may not know the first two, the, the, the first name and the last name that I, that I put out there. But if you have opportunity to go on YouTube and, and check those two, Goats out, two Hall of Famers out. Trust me, you would not be disappointed. No doubt. Big time Talk list. To me, Pat Pat. Talk to Big me, Talk to me, Who's list. your top five? All right, Pat P. I got my list together. I'm going to rank mine. Let I'm ranking my players. My number one, Deion Man. Sanders. Come on, prime time. You know what I mean? We're going to tap into Deion Sanders prime. a little bit later in the show with Mel Blunt. But he is my number one. I think he should be everybody's number one, the way he, how he revolutionized the game. And he was a trendsetter because of prime yeah. time. You know, current right. cornerbacks like yourself are, to, they're able to reset the market and, and make another living with their brand. You know what I mean? So prime right. is number one. Number two, Rod Woodson. It's hard to argue 71 interceptions. Yeah, man. <laughs> Yo, hey, that's hard to argue, right? You, it's hard to argue 71 right, we interceptions. We're going to have the same list. Yeah, that's my, but see, you didn't rank, you see, you didn't have, you, you, you what you did was you took the pressure nah, off the plate because you didn't rank them. Yeah, you didn't want to rank, but I'm ranking exactly, mine. So exactly. number two is Rod. <laughs> My number three is Mel Blunt, right? 57 okay, picks. Okay. They created a rule for Mel Blunt because he was yeah. so dominant. And he was Changed the first the game, corner. Man. He was the first corner. The first corner. Yes. Yeah, the yep. one defensive player of the year. So he's my number three. My number four, Charles Woodson, uh, nine pro bowlers, uh, nine pro bowls. I'm sorry, 65 picks. 11 of them was returned for touchdowns. That's second all-time currently hey. right now. And my fifth, it was a toss-up for me, Pat P. But I decided to go with Champ Bailey. When you talk about the See, long, I had long, longevity. I, I, I had Champ Bailey yeah, in there. I got Champ 12 Pro Bowls. I think that's the most for any corner in the National Football League. Yeah, 12. It is. Longevity that he played with. But it was a toss-up because hey. I almost went Dick Night Train Lane. I almost inserted him in my top five. Yeah, that's five. a good one, too. Hey, here, here's a nice thing about uh, Champ, though. Man, you know Champ went a whole year allowing, I think it was like, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it was some crazy numbers on like 15 completions or something like that. The whole you year. You remember that? Yes. 
Hey, look it up. up. It was something. 15 completions? Hey, <laughs> bro, it was something crazy. It might it might have been a little bit higher than that. It probably was in the 20s. But he Still. gave up. Even if it's That's in the 20s. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Still, that kid was crazy. I want to say it was like an 09 or something like that. Something crazy. Yeah. I mean, we'll get it back to you. Champ, Champ Bell was a beast. He, he, for some reason, he kind of get overlooked, I think, because just the longevity in which he played with and still played at a high level, even yeah. towards the end of his career. Man, you, that can't go unnoticed, in my opinion. Champ Bailey. So I, I agree. That, that's my top five. Prime. Rod Woodson, Charles, uh, Rod Woodson, Mel Blunt, Charles Woodson, Champ Bailey, and the outside looking in, Dick Night Train Lane. 12 games and 52 Night Train Lane had 14 picks in only 12 ball games. I used to talk to Dick LeBeau all the time about Night Train Lane. Funny story with Dick LeBeau. He said, cause I used to, I used to mess with Coach LeBeau all the time during practice. Like we had some free time. I'm like, Coach, why they always call you the creator of the fire zone? Like why, why you get that title? He was like, well, Mac, he used to call me Mac. He said, well, Matt, when I was playing with the Lions and, uh, he was playing safety at the time, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, Nick, uh, Dick Night Train Lane was on his side, the corner on his side. And he said, Night Train Lane looked at him and said, Dicky, I'm blitzing. And Coach LeBeau was like, Dick, <laughs> what the, what you mean you blitz? We're in the cover too. You can't blitz. It's two receivers out here. He's like, I'm right. gone anyway. And Coach LeBeau <laughs> was like, Dick. What, what, what I'm supposed to do? And, and Night Train was like, cover on both. <laughs> so he blitzed from the corner and Coach LeBeau said he had to try to cover on both with depth. And eventually, you know, the pressure and that concept kind of worked in their favor. And he said that's where he kind of came up with the concept later on in his coaching career when he started coaching of a fire zone. If you know anything about a fire zone, it's a concept mm-hmm. of having an extra hat included in the blitz concept and you're basically kind of playing behind. man. Zone concept based on whatever route combination you're getting. I was like, what? Yeah, that's crazy. That's cold blooded, right? <laughs> Coach LeBeau. Hey, Coach LeBeau. I got to get Coach LeBeau on the show too, Pat. You love Coach LeBeau. Yeah, Matter of fact, Coach LeBeau Coach got LeBeau. 60 plus interceptions as well. I think he got like 62. Mm, that's crazy. <laughs> Go. Another one. No question. No <laughs> question. Hey, well, there you have it. Thank you, Parker Smith. Man, you gave us a great question because you, as you see, me and Pat P are still going through our list and adding to our list and talking about some of these big time cornerbacks that we have in our top five. Let us hear what your top five is. We'd love to hear this, hear your top five. You know what I mean? Who, who would you have in? Who, who, who wouldn't make the list? But thank you, Parker Smith, for giving us that question. Like I said, if you would like to have, if you'd like to have your question read in our show, leave us a five star review attached to your question on Apple Podcasts. We'll try to get to it. Now it's time to get to halftime. So when we go to halftime, you know, we make adjustments and we told you guys early in the show, we got a, another legend join us second straight week in a row. We got a living legend join us and he's going to. I mean, heck, we're going to play with it. We're going to play by his rules. It's only right, right, Pat? I mean, he created. He made his A. They created, they created rules for him, no so question. why not? Steeler Nation, stand up. Opposite side of half, Mel Blunt will be joining us. Stay tuned. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. 
Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Well, coming out of halftime, and you guys that are faithful fans, faithful listeners, faithful watchers of the show, you guys know how we do it here on All Things Covered. Last week, we had an iconic individual join us on our show. This week, we have another iconic individual join us, a living legend. As I read his intro, I think it's only right that I put this uh this terrible <laughs> towel around my shoulder. A man that I met some years ago when I first got drafted, in Pittsburgh and, and Pat P, listen, when I first saw him, I was starstruck. Like I, I was speechless yeah. because I heard about him. I seen highlights of him and I literally was watching him looking. I was looking at him face to face for the first time in my life. And I was like starstruck. First time I had the locked jaw. My lock, my jaw just locked up. <laughs> but this individual here was a third round pick in 1970 out of Southern to the Pittsburgh Steelers. 57 career interceptions, which is very, very rare because you look at the day yeah. and time and when he played, they didn't throw the football a lot. It's not like quarterbacks throwing 40 times, 50 times, 30 times, not to mention they weren't targeting his side often because he's a lockdown player, but he came up with 57 career interceptions. 1975, defensive player of the year. If I'm not mistaken, I got to go, we got to do our research. So Eric, help me out on this. I think he was the first corner to ever accomplish that award. Defensive player of the year, a four-time, four-time Super Bowl champion, pro football Hall of Famer. Join us here. Like I said, I got my terrible towel. As you see right now, watching this on YouTube, I mean, he got his cowboy hat on. You can tell he's he loved the ranch life. But before loving the ranch life, he was loving the gridiron. Mel Blunt, Man. Hall of Famer, has joined us here on All Things Covered. We tip our hat to you. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Blunt. How you doing? It's good to see you guys and the BB, all you young young brothers, young outstanding cornerbacks. And, and <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of Patrick. He's still he's still in the game and. Mm-hmm. Look, guys, it, it's just an honor. It's an honor. I mean, young people, I, I, I see you all as my young brothers, so I'm, I'm really honored to be able to talk to you. Oh, man, we we, we, yeah. we fired up. We, we're fired no up. No doubt about it. You know, every week we're fired up for our guests, but this is a different fire right now because, like you yeah, said, we all – we all back backpedaled for a living, and Pat P is mm-hmm. currently still backpedaling for a living, so this is a pleasure. Uh, let's start off earlier, the early part of your career. Mel, you attended Southern University in the late 1960s. What did it mean to you to play for an HBC at that time, HBCU at that time? Well, guys, you know, it, it was really no other option. Everything was segregated in the South. Uh, I went to an all-black high school and went to an all-black college and uh, really, my first experience of playing with white players or being coached by a white person was in Pittsburgh. And so it, it was a big adjustment for me, but I love my, my background. I love the experience I came up on. It's something that burns on the inside of me that, that keep reminding me to remind young black people how important it is to not forget the struggle, first of all, and to understand how important HBCUs have been to our, as far as our history is concerned, our race, and how important it is going forward. And so I'm excited about a lot of the things that uh, has led me to this point as far as my experience at, at HBCUs. What Was the band uh, good I, back then? 
like they are now? <laughs> hey, they were a lot better, man. I tell you what. <clears throat> Southern University, Grambling, I mean, when you talk about marching bands, even Florida A&M, I mean, they were probably the three most dominant uh, powerhouses in, in the HBC world, really, when it came to marching bands. But uh, football was great, too, because all your top athletes, black athletes, was going to these HBCUs. And when you look at the National Football League and when you look at pro football, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and you see the number of players who went to HBCUs that are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it tells you what kind of talent that was. And then when they really open up the game and recruit, these are your major white universities start recruiting the black athletes. Then they start uh, really tapping into all the talent that used to go to the hall, to the HBCU, start going to schools like Georgia and all your other white universities. But, you know, we've held our own, man. And uh, we're, we're excited about the future, really. Right. And Mel, you you spoke on it a little bit, speaking of uh, how many uh, pro, pro football Hall of Famers came from HBCUs. How do you think the league can further elevate HBCUs as far as getting more players from HBCUs in the, into the league? Well, I think I think they have to go back and start scouting, scouting these colleges. And one of the things that has happened here in, in recent months, and I know you all are familiar with it, Hey, I think with Deion Sanders going to Jackson State, I think that huge. Is going, that's huge for historical black colleges because he's going mm-hmm. to bring a lot of uh, attention. You know, scouts are going to come. Media is going to come. And athletes will have that opportunity to really show what they can do. So if, if they're scouting Jackson State and Jackson State is playing Southern University, it's going to help those players at Southern University because – if you're there scouting, you're going to see what all both both teams are doing. But I think Dion being at an HBCU is really huge for the historical black colleges. And and Pat right. talked about what the NFL could do to, you know, further elevate HBCUs. But when it comes to high school recruits, I was a top recruit coming out of South Florida. Pat P was a top recruit coming out of South Florida as well. And I think the only HBCU that even they, they didn't really try to recruit me, but they they had a few words with my high school coach was FAMU. And I remember at that time I was like, mm-hmm. no, nah, I'm not even considered FAMU. You know what I mean? That's the wrong school in Tallahassee that I'm going to consider. I'm, I'm considered Florida State. Right. And <clears throat> that was some years ago. Now things are starting to change in a better direction for HBCUs. But you still have so many elite like high school recruits that won't even give an HBCU the time or the day just to kind of hear what they're saying. Not to mention, we look at the history, the history standpoint, you know what I mean? What they Mm -hmm. meant for our culture as black people. So my question to you, Mel, being a part of an HBCU school, what could the universities do? They kind of get more, I guess, get more attention from high school recruits, real good recruits, or even mid-level recruits to be able to get some of these top prospects to go to HBCUs instead of some of these power five universities. Well, I think, I think one of the things we have to do, we, we have to do a better job. I think the alumni, we got to do a better job promoting our universities. And then we have to do a better job educating our young people about HBCUs. And if nothing else, 
if nothing else, I think with what happened uh, last year with the George Floyd incident, if as black people, if we don't really see what's going on in this country and, and see how important it is that we support our own universities, our own institutions, then I don't know what's going to happen, how we can, you know, make a difference. But I think guys like myself, guys who attended these schools, we have to talk, you know, to even the coaches. And I think when we try to tie all this into the National Football League, I think the National Football League has to open up opportunities for coaches and administrators in these black schools to have an opportunity to work in the NFL and have an opportunity if, if there's no more than clinics that they put on and, and, and start making contacts and building relationships because that's really what it comes down to. People have to feel comfortable with you in order to give you an opportunity to work in their organization. And, and I think you, you played for the Steelers. I played for the Steelers. Great owners. They, they created the Rooney Rule. Now we have to continue to critique the Rooney Rule because they're starting to find ways to get around that. So you got to have enough of these owners who want to give African Americans, uh, minorities opportunities, uh, to excel in that industry. And as far as recruiting the high school athlete, I think it really comes down to alumni and the, and the program, uh, the coaches who are running those programs in those schools and, and talking with the parents and trying to get them to understand how that this kid can get a great education and he also can get an opportunity to play a sport that he loves and it's a tough uh, task because most young athletes, you know, it's probably going to say, well, I'd rather go to Florida and I mean, I'd rather go to Florida State and Florida A&M because the scouts, the pro scouts, right, they're there. Florida State to look at the athletes. Mm-hmm. But right. I always said, if you can play, they'll find you. If you're good yeah, enough, right. they'll find you. And, and talking about some right. of the uh, sure. alum, notable players from HBCUs for our listeners and viewers, Jerry Rice, Walter Payton, Jackie Slater, Steve McNair, Shannon Sharp, Michael Strahan. Some greats right there. Yeah. So the alum is there. And I think you, you came up with some cool points, Mel, about, you know, getting the alum to be more involved. And maybe that can draw more attention to some of these real good players in the high school level. Right. What's interesting about that list that you just ran off that went to HBCUs, all those guys in the Hall of Fame, every one of them you mentioned. Right. And yep. sought out the award in the pro football is the Walter Payton Award who went to an to H- HBCU. Yep, 100%. Well, Mel, we're going to shift it over to your, your playing days a little bit. You was listed at 63205, which was considered big in today's standard, but huge when you talk about <laughs> players and corners from 50 years ago. How did you, how did your size help develop your physical style of play? Well, you know, I was, I was 205. I was, I was, I could run. I, I ran like, how, four, how fast were you? Well, I ran four, four, three. And then Ooh. after 14 mm-hmm. years, I ran a four, four, five. And so, okay. And, 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 uh, <laughs> and we, we practiced on turf every, we didn't have a mm-hmm. practice field like they do today. I mean, I, I, I always said if we'd had some grass to practice on, I probably, could have played another years. <laughs> and y'all had that real Astro turf. It was like concrete, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. Stadium, we played, there, we practiced there. Only time we had grass was when we went to Latrobe, 
And, wow. Uh, but as far as my size, uh, Patrick, I, I had long arms, which was an mm-hmm. asset. I could run. No doubt about it. Quick feet. And, uh, then I always played with a chip on my shoulder. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. because first of all, I was pissed off because I didn't get drafted until the third round. You know, everybody think they were <laughs> Right. <laughs> so I come into the league with a chip on my shoulder, you know. Right, right, right. And then the other thing, and this is one of the things about growing up doing segregation, we were taught that we had to be twice as good if we wanted to mm-hmm. compete. You know, I mean, right. that's just reality of it. We, we didn't play, mm-hmm. we didn't play against white athletes, all black high school, all black college. So it, it was something ingrained in us about competing and being the best because not only did we have to prove that to ourselves, but we knew that we had to succeed so that the next generation, the next athlete that comes from Southern or from Gramlin, that they would, they couldn't say that we couldn't compete or that right. we didn't have the skill set. So mm-hmm. all these things were something that drove us to be the very best that we could be. And I think that that's a lot of why I was able to rise to the top like I was when I played. And speaking of the way you played, they basically created a rule for your style of play, the Mel Blunt rule, right? (laughs) And that happened during your career. Number one, most players can't say they revolutionized (laughs) the game where they had to put a rule in in place for them because they were just so dominant. So you're one of one when it comes to that element. But no doubt about it. <laughs> with that rule being implemented in the National Football League, while you were still playing at a high level, how were you able to adjust to the new rules? And what did you think when you basically heard it was the Mel, Mel Blunt rule? I was telling someone today we, we were talking, uh, sitting around uh, having lunch. <laughs> you know, when that, when that happened, it, it was it was really to me. I took it as an insult, as if. Okay, so you name this rule, you you put this rule in because you think that I that's the only way I can play, and that it's going to slow me down. Right. All those, you know, we were so dominant, not just me in the secondary, but Joe Green and Elsie Greenwood, Jack Lamb, all those guys. We were so dominant until they were trying to find ways to slow our defense down. They they even took mm-hmm. the head slap out, and Elsie mm-hmm. was good at that. They even uh. Uh, had uh, rules kind of like the, like the Mel Blunt rule was one. And then our defensive line was so dominant with Ernie Holmes and Joe Green and Elsie uh, Greenwood. Uh, these guys were just tremendous athletes. And so I didn't really like the rule, but I wanted to prove to them that there was another gear that I could go to, another level. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we were able to go and win two more Super Bowls after they changed that rule. But <laughs> let me just tell you about what, how I feel about because my kids, my grandkids, they just think it's the coolest thing, man, to have a, <laughs> a, a, <laughs> a after their dad or their, or their, or their papa, as they call me. And yeah. so yeah. I really, the older I get, the more I appreciate the fact that I had that kind of impact on the game. Now, I know Patrick and all you young players said, man, if it wasn't for Mel Blood, I'd be able to do this and do that. <laughs> I was just Still about to ask that. you that. Fast, fast forwarding to 50 years, do you think you will be able to play in today's game on how the games are called? Man, look, if I, I'm telling you, and this, I'm not, <laughs> if I was playing in today's game, 
And they're playing, <laughs> they're playing 16 games and they're throwing the ball, what, 80% of the time? Right. I'm, yep. coming, I'm coming out of every game and I'm not lying with at least two interceptions, <laughs> not more. I mean, that's not <laughs> what I could do. Because I'm, I'm gonna be a bumper hog. Yes, they, sir. Now check this out. I had 11 interceptions in, in 1975. 11, 11 interceptions. And mm-hmm. on an average, they was throwing the ball 13 times a game. <laughs> Jeez, that's crazy. So, you know, when they put that ball in there, man, this is my opportunity. Because I know I'm right. not Hey, Mel, real quick. Can you give us an estimate? If they were throwing the ball an average of 13 times a ball game, how many were coming your way? I might get sometimes two or three a game. And you still got 11 yeah. picks. And the other 10 were, were going somewhere else. And you still got 11 interceptions. Yeah. They did not throw the ball a whole lot. Nope. Like mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah. I, I had quick feet. I had, I could run and I had long arms and, and a lot of, a lot of plays I've made, I made them because of my physical ability. I mean, I might have been out of position, but mm. I had enough arm reach or I had enough uh, quickness to recover. Because I mean, I don't mm. care who you are. If you play out there long enough, you're going to, you're going to get something's going to happen. Yep. Right. So man, I got a question for you. Being in 19, back in 1975, you know, obviously the, the technology and how innovative the game is now. How did you guys like, be able to be, you know, watch film on your own. No, you know, at that time, you know, you had these bit projectors and things like that. So how, how were you guys able to study and be a pro outside of, you know, the game? Well, to be honest, it wasn't a whole lot of it because I mean, if I wanted to, let's say I wanted to take a projector and a, and a real Mm -hmm. film home. So I got the projector, uh, you know, Donnie Shell or, or Jack Lambert or Jack Ham, they don't have enough projectors for everybody to take a, uh. Right. So, you know, a lot of times you go in there and ask for the projector and they say, oh, uh, so and so has it. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you studied in the, in the classroom before practice, uh, and right. you had a meeting at the practice. But usually if a guy wanted to take a projector and a, uh, a roll of film home, it, it was very rare because either the coaches needed it or they was using the projector mm-hmm. and you just had to, you know, pay attention in the classroom and then go out and practice it and, and remember it in your mind what, what it is when you see that formation, what they do and, and, and you know what to do according. So, so for you, so for you, when you was uh, coming out of the game, you know, obviously you watch your class in film, but so it was mainly not off instincts but you watch film but you know like how was it like how did you study like how was your study process as far as breaking down receivers when you walk into the game just curious well you know patrick and uh brian i was to be honest i was a little bit on the arrogant side (laughs) (laughs) you're like i'm just gonna dominate him he's a rat (laughs) i go out there and do what i gotta do so i like it I wasn't doing, made, a, whole, I I wasn't doing made, a whole lot of study. And I paid attention in the in the, in the meeting rooms. Yeah, and, uh-huh. and to be honest, I very <laughs> seldom took film home. I mean, when I when I was on that run with that uh, eleven interceptions, you know, if I took film home three or four times that year, that that's a lot. But I was, wow. just, right? Hey, man, I was just 
you know, <laughs> knowing what I had to do, knowing what we was going to do against certain formation, knowing what defenses we were going to play if we were going to check to a different defense if they come out in this formation. Right. So all that stuff I, I just knew in my mind, and mm-hmm. and I just react to what I saw. Mel, is there any truth to the stories I've heard in, while I was in Pittsburgh with the teams in the 70s, like in your the meeting rooms, they used to have like ashtrays in the chairs for the players that were sitting in the meeting room because you guys used to smoke either during the week of or even smoke during the locker room, like halftime break during the locker room, in the locker room during halftime break. Is there any truth to that? It's a whole lot of truth. And we were laughing. Yeah. I'm telling you, we were talking about that with somebody, how, you know, this was, I'm talking about this went on for like at least three or four years from 1970. I think they really uh, start banning smoking in the, in the locker room, I think like in 74, 75, mm. maybe. And God just said, I'm like, I'm like you, Brian. I'm like, man, I can't believe this guy just lit up and started smoking a cigarette. You know, at half <laughs> you know, we come in, I go to the locker room, he lighted up, smoked. This. It was great. <laughs> but it's, that's, that's true. <laughs> that is really true. Well, that's great. Wow. What about beer? You guys used to make, uh, drink beer in the locker room also? No, 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 not at halftime. They never allowed that. Maybe, maybe after the game or something, somebody would have beer. Guys go in the sauna or they go sit around, but it, it never was, uh, in a, that during the halftime. Okay. Just the cigarettes. Yeah. Occasionally smoking. Just the cigarettes. They, they, they light up. Just the cigarettes. Like this old man. Camels. Rooney, old man <laughs> used to walk around and give guys cigars. Not yeah. like doing the practice during the week. Uh-huh. Offer you a cigar and stuff. He was a, he was a cool guy, man. Yeah. That's I've seen, awesome, I've man. seen many, many pictures of him smoking a cigar or, or lighting one up. So that sounds about right. Those, so, those different times, man. That was different times. No doubt about it. Big, yeah, different times. I, I, I couldn't even think of an individual trying to light a cigarette in a the cigarette. locker room, right? A cigarette? Man, what? <laughs> <laughs> like really, yeah. but but it also tells you know I guess it tells me how unique you guys were as athletes because like you just said Mel you didn't really watch tape but you were so dominant you had a lot of dominating players yeah. Hall of Fame players that were smoking in the locker room during halftime and still going out there and just making oh, a lot of plays you know what I mean so that tells you how unique your style was as an individual and the company that you play with as well. Well, it's no question, man. I, I tell you what, it was a different game, believe me, all together. And the physicality was, was so different because back then, man, you could hit. I mean, a quarterback had no protection other than the front line. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why people ask me, man, who's the toughest and the best quarterback? And I, I'll tell you to this day, I'd take Terry Bradshaw and, and I'd go out there and I'd be just as comfortable and confident that we can win a game with that guy than we can with anybody else because he was one tough cookie. Because, you know, guys, like, they actually hit the quarterback. But if you touch the quarterback now, you know, it's yeah. about to pass. And it's, it's, it's oh, a yeah. great game. It's a great game. I love it. I love the athletes because I think we got tremendous athletes in the league. But they just it, – the game is played different. And it's not the player's fault. It's, it's the way the rules and the league has uh, taken the game. And it's all because of television. And Mel, who do you – who do you believe is the best quarterback to ever play for the organization, the Steelers organization? I ain't no question. You just said it. I just said it. Terry Bradshaw. I just said it. I just said it. Ben Roethlisberger is 
he is a great player. He, he's been a great player, and he is obviously on the on the downside of his career. And he's still, I mean, he I thought he had a great year, man. They started eleven and zero, and yeah, it looked like the team just hit a wall, you know. But yeah, uh, all these players, and, and it's really unfair to compare players who played in different eras because everybody was good at what they did, or they wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. But uh, right. Mm-hmm. You know, and then a guy's record should speak for itself. Uh, Terry mm-hmm. won four Super Bowls. I mean, he, he's done, he did his thing and Ben has won two. He's done his thing. So he's a great player. And so mm-hmm. it's really, a, when you ask, say, well, who's the greatest player? Everybody has a different opinion. Yep. My mm-hmm. opinion. Right. The guy that I played with. Hey, right. about it. It's hard. It's hard to knock that. And you said you're going to visit Terry when you leave the ranch yeah. right there in Oklahoma. You're going to visit Terry Bradshaw's ranch. So uh, I I know you're going to have some fun with Terry. Well, Terry Terry's ranch is is right across the interstate from this one. I I Terry and I text. Terry's in Hawaii, uh, but his mm. country, I'm going by there and you know just visit and speak to him, look at some horses and stuff and. And I'm I'm just kind of on a tour, man. You know how golfers go on a yeah. golf tour and they right. <laughs> to the, go Okay, ahead. what got you into horses? Well, you know what? I, I told you I grew up in Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. I grew up on a farm in Vidalia, Georgia, and we still have that farm today. But growing up out mm. there, we had mules and horses, uh, and that was our transportation. I mean, my, I think mm. I was like in the ninth grade. When my dad had finally got a pickup truck, but wow. in my childhood it was mules and wagons and sleds, and I, I tell people all the time that's why I never got hurt because as a boy I grew up plowing mules and picking cotton, and <laughs> working on the farm. <laughs> yeah. I, got, I wow. was developed. You were a grown man right. you before you became it. a grown you man. Through it, <laughs> he said yeah, plowing, plowing mules man. in high school. I mean, even in high school, man, I'm out there playing and. You know, the, the coach wanted us to run. I'm like, man, this is fun. You know, this is a lot better than being out there in that cotton field picking cotton. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and to come out of college and somebody's going to pay me to play football, shoot. I thought, I, I, man, you know, this is the best of the best. But right. that's, how I, that's how I developed the love for the animals because that's what we did as as kids. I mean, we, we had mm-hmm. meetings and wagons and you know, we worked on the farm, we plowed them, we rode them. You know, we didn't have no television. We didn't have indoor running water. I mean, I was, a, I was a freshman coming back to, uh, back home from college when we first got our indoor bathroom. So, wow. an old school guy, you know, wow. born in 1948. Wow. You can imagine how black people was living back then, you know. And yeah, so, yeah. And, and I'm proud of it. I don't, you know, and I tell my kids, I tell them, said, man, y'all don't know. Oh, daddy, you never lived like that. So you just don't know, man. You know, yeah. I mean, we hunted, we, we ate the wild, you know, we ate, uh, squirrels, rabbits, raccoons. I mean, that's the kind of, I think that's why I had good tendons. I never got hurt. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah, squirrels and, and I raccoons. It. I don't know if I eaten a raccoon, man. I know, yeah, that's, that's what my, that's what my grandpa used to eat. <laughs> I can't even believe I ate a squirrel or a rabbit. Man, y'all just don't know. They don't know nothing about it. Well, Will you eat one today? Would you eat a squirrel or uh, a rabbit today? Catch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, 
Mel, you might be at the dinner table by yourself. If I'm there. I might have to pass on that. <laughs> I don't care what kind of seasoning you put on it. How you cooking it, Mel? You broiling it? You grilling it? How you, how, how's this being prepared? Well, you just take him and skin him and then you uh-huh. can, you know, get a good season on him and you can, you can smoke him over fire. You can, uh, bake him all kind of ways. You can fry. So rotisserie style. You're going to have him rolling over the fire. Yeah, man. That's, that's real, man. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Pat P should try some hey, rabbit. Hey, I might try it, man. It might help them tendons. You still try. playing. You heard he said he never got hey, hurt. Yeah, I, hey, yeah, I heard the secret. I heard the secret. <laughs> no question. No question. No question. Hey, Mel, question for you. And I know Steeler Nation would love to hear your answer with this. The 1976 team is known for arguably having the greatest defense ever, right? What made that group so dominant? Well, 1976 was, was probably the best team we ever had, even though we didn't win a Super Bowl. And, yeah. Uh, but I think what made us, what really made us great is that we all had started to jail. And you know how it is, man, momentum and confidence, all that stuff. And we had, we were just coming off of our second Super Bowl win, you know, won the first game, then we lost, we lost four games in a row. And, and cause Bryce Hart got hurt and then we just clicked, man. Something happened to that defense. And then we went on a, we went on a winning streak and, and a run that was incredible, uh, as far as shutting people down. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Then we got to, uh, Baltimore in the, uh, first round of the playoffs and we won it, but Franco and Rocky Bly got hurt. So we never had a running game going to Oakland, the Raiders. Chuck No did something then that's, that became really common in the uh, in pro football. He came out with two tight ends. Well, back in those days, never nobody ever heard of people coming out with two tight ends, and mm-hmm. we didn't have enough time to really perfect that type of offense. Plus, we didn't have a running back. We had a we had a guy who was just kind of average, and uh, we we just fell apart. But that was the best team, man. I'm talking about. Position by position, probably the best team we've ever had up there in Pittsburgh doing my playing time. I think, my personal opinion, I think that 76 team, granted, I didn't see you guys play. I wasn't born then, but just hearing the numbers and how dominant you guys were, that might be the best team to not not win a championship. And some of the numbers, Pat P., let me read this to you. The last nine, nine games of the season for that 76 team, 1976 team, they allowed 28 points. A total of five shutouts. They had eight pro bowlers and four future Hall of Famers. So in the last mm. nine games, they only a allowed total. a total 28, 28, 28 points, points with five shutouts. Think yeah. about that. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. We were, we were, that's doing, unbelievable. The thing about it, man, was it was, it wasn't just one guy. It was so many guys making plays and, and, and that's what make a great team when, when they say, okay, we got to yeah. know where this guy is at. No, yeah. you got to know where all 11 of us are because somebody's going to make it. <laughs> exactly. And speaking of that, Mel, who's sure. the best player on that 76 team that's not in the Hall of Fame that should be in the Hall of Fame? Elsie Greenwood. Yeah, I knew he was going to say that. I ain't no question yeah. about it, man. Elsie Greenwood on that why, why do you think he's not in the Hall? Well, sometimes guys just fall through the crack. The way the Hall of Fame work is that if that beat writer in your town he has to be pushing you to get into the Hall of Fame. And we had so many great players until, you know, the last – I mean, we think about Donnie Shell, man. He, This guy had 
50-some interceptions as a strong safety. And he just and got in. He, mm, yeah, in he did. He should have been in the Hall of Fame when he retired. So you got so many. And he would knock players. your jaw through the dirt, too. Yeah. Oh, he was physical. You got so many great players until a, a, a writer, Ed Bouchette, let's say, for the Steelers. Mm-hmm. He can't go in there trying to push four players to get in the Hall of Fame because every city, some guy's trying to push his guy, you know, if it's somebody from the Cardinals or somebody from the Raiders. Yep. And so it's really mm-hmm. unfortunate, but the whole, the whole thing with the Hall of Fame is political, man. It's, it's like, okay, this is my guy. If I can't get him in here this year, I'm going to help you get yours in, but next year you got to help me get mine in. You know, that's just mm-hmm. weird. And, and so it, gotcha. it's going to get better because now we have two former players. They're Hall of Famers that is a part of the voting committee. They have a vote, you know, and that's James Lofton and the, uh, uh the quarterback from, uh, Fouts, the quarterback. Dan Fouts. Okay, Van. Yeah, Van. They can sit in those meetings and listen to these arguments and, and, and kind of have some kind of voice on, you know, but I always said that the, the writers, they shouldn't have the, they shouldn't have the vote for the Hall of Fame. It should be players, players who have played against each other. You know, who knows more about Patrick Peterson than some wide receiver that, that right. You know, those are just some of the things that hopefully that will change in the future. But the only way they're going to change is players going to have to stand up and start talking about it and saying that that's that's the way things. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it's definitely it should be more players on that panel because, like you said, beat writers they're good, but they're not to me, in my opinion. You know, not to knock any of them off, they're not really studying the game. I, I think they look at more highlights than games themselves. Right. You know what I mean? Like how I change the game, how offensive coordinators have to tailor game plans around this one player. I think that goes, you know, a far ways. And the other thing is you get these young writers now who had not seen Elsie uh, Greenwood or, mm-hmm. or Two Tall Jones. How, how is this guy not in the Hall of Fame? Mm-hmm. Right. But mm-hmm. you got these young writers now who – they haven't seen, they, they've seen guys who played maybe four or five years ago, or they've seen news articles, or the guy's got a lot of publicity. And so, right. oh yeah, I remember that guy. He was good. I'm going to vote for him. But then when you look at the stats, that guy may not have the same kind of stats as somebody that they're familiar with. And the other mm-hmm. thing is, my, my, my pet peeve is, hey, you got Doug Williams out there. He's the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl in the National Football League. And this guy don't even get mentioned for a Hall of Fame vote. How is that? Somebody like Tony Dodger, who was the first black head coach to win a Super Bowl, is in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. You got the first black quarterback in Doug Williams who won a Super Bowl, but he's nah. not in. Yeah. So what's right. the logic other than it said, okay, it's all political. You know, we get the people mm-hmm. in like, and the rest of them fall by the wayside. Well, I can tell you, I can tell you one thing, Mel. You know, you, you came up, you brought brought some key points regarding the Hall of Fame. But what better place to start right. a campaign for these players than all things covered? LC Greenwood. Mm-hmm. Let's start a campaign for LC Greenwood. Doug Williams. Let's start a campaign for him because 
all valid points. Uh, and hopefully they get an opportunity to get into the hall because they're both deserving, in my opinion. There's no question. 100%. And I'm glad, Brian, that you brought that up so we could use your show as a platform, man. If you need. Yes, sir. Just call me up. I'll start yelling as loud as I can. <laughs> no question. No question. Platform for the hall, for those individuals, platform for HBCUs and high school recruits, giving uh, a, a, a legit look at some of those universities because they are very, very prestige. The tradition and the prestige, they mean a lot to our culture, to say the least. Uh, when you look at your professional career, uh, Mel Blunt, you play for a coach that I believe doesn't really get his just due. And Chuck, no. When you look at some of the best coaches to ever coach on the sidelines in the National Football League, you start and you stop the conversation with Bill Belichick, deserving so. You throw Don Shula name into that into that conversation as well, but you don't really hear people mention Chuck. No, you know what? what when you think about Chuck, no, what sticks out the most to you about him? Well, how consistent he was, Chuck. You know, Chuck. No, he was. You knew what you got, whether you won or whether you lost. Uh, he was, he was, uh, the kind of guy who he was so consistent until they call him the Pope. That was his <laughs> Chuck, Wow. But, but Chuck, man, was smart. He, he knew players. He knew how to handle people. And, um, the reason, the reason Chuck Noll is not, you know, he, his name just don't flop your tongue like that is because Chuck, he didn't have a whole lot. He, he was real short uh, with the media. You know, he wasn't one of those guys that he never gave them anything to write about. You know, he was to the point and, and the, quite frankly, didn't want to be bothered with the media. So kind of like Bill Belichick is today. Yeah. But yeah. the point I was making earlier about is that it's, it's all about these guys having having some kind of relationship with you or they they know about you or they like you or they don't. And I think there's so much work to be done in the National Football League as far as making things better, not only for the players, making things fair for guys who retired and and providing uh, better benefits for retired players. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done and uh, I just think that you have to keep that conversation going because if it don't, it'll fall by the wayside. Something else pops up and it get, gets left behind. Yeah. Well, Mel, we're going to let you go. But before we let you go, we're going to transition to the superlative part of our show. We hit you with a few rapid fire questions. We want your unbiased, honest answer. The first one. Oh, I can't wait to hear this one, Pat P. All-time Steelers secondary. I give you four guys, or if you want to include a nickel and add five guys to the secondary, all-time Steelers secondary, who's in that secondary? Well, I'm going to put Rod Woodson in there. Yep. Okay, I'm going to put Donnie Shell on one, and, and there's a safety. Yep. And and I'm definitely going to put yours truly in there. No question. And, uh, Other I, safety? Yeah, I think um, – Oh man, he coached for the Steelers. I, I, uh, I don't, you talking about Carnell Lake? Did you play with Carnell? He coached me. He coached you. Okay. Yeah. So, so if I, if I, if I took that team and I had an all time, I, I would have to go Donnie Shell, Rod Woodson, you and myself. And there would be a bait debate between. What's the boy's name? He had like so many interceptions. He was a cornerback, and I was in the in the uh, 
I came in you all's meeting and congratulated him. I can't think of his name. Well, I, 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 well, wait a minute. I, I think you're leaving one big name off that I think fans might be like, wait a minute, you're forgetting somebody, Mel. The hair. Got all the hair. Yeah, I, I would have to, you, you talk about Troy. Yeah. Troy, uh, Troy's a great player and he's a Hall of Famer. You're right. I did forget him. So I probably would, I probably would have to go with Troy, Donnie, Woodson, and myself. And then, uh, I would, uh, Carnell Lake. You know, that would be my team. If okay. I had four guys that, that played in the secondary for the Steelers, just based on what they've done. Mm-hmm. And, and every one of those guys are Hall of Famers, you know, so that would be, that would be who I would pick. And then if I could get five people, I'd put you on that team. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. that for that, for that courtesy pick. I thank you, Bill. <laughs> I got to be politically correct, okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> best cornerback to play is retired. The best cornerback to play since I retired? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Oh, look, I think I think the best cornerback to play uh, in the National Football League, period, is Deion Sanders. Mm. I mean, a lot of people don't yeah. like Deion because he was a showman, but you got to get a man – you got to give him his respect. You got to give him special, his respect. man. <laughs> and Dion, I think Dion revolutionized the secondary, and and he brought the awareness of the importance of the secondary that people like yourself and other guys were able to get paid. There's no question about it. What he did, did I not say that, Matt? <laughs> no question. <laughs> yeah, what he what he. What he did for guys who play in the secondary, they, they all should be making important. Yeah, yep. no doubt. 100%. Next one for you. Toughest wide receiver matchup of your era? I think probably for me would, would have been Cliff Branch. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was tough. Yeah. Had, this guy could be running 100 miles an hour, but he also had two more gears he could shift to. I mean, that's <laughs> mm. <laughs> you said two more gears. Gee. Yeah, that's the kind of speed he had. I mean, and he was the kind of guy that he was sneaky. I mean, it looked like he was just going to run a, you know, a little end rod, and then he just hit that burst, man. He was he was special. And mm. I got a chance to talk to him because we had a lot of battles, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. got a chance to know him was a good mm-hmm. man. You know, unfortunately, he uh, he passed away, but he was he was a special special guy that. And yet he's he's one guy you had to know where he was at all times. That's for sure. <laughs> no, that's awesome. All right, last one for you, Mel. We're gonna let you go. Best Steelers title team ever. Best Steelers title team. Yeah, title team. Best yeah. Steelers team to win a championship. Oh uh, man, I don't know. Uh, those championships are hard to come by. They all are pretty special. Uh, yeah. You know, we we were pretty dominant in '74, but '75 we took it to another level. Uh, and and you know, you think about the the last two Super Bowls, we all were really kind of in that age thirty. You know, where where we kind of at the not where you started to tell off at the end of your careers, but we were nowhere close to what we were at '75 as far as just. Mm-hmm. Young, physical, strong, quick, and all the things that you look for in an athlete. So I'm still going to go. I'm going to go with the 74 team. The 74? 
I'm going wow. with that because, you know, we want, that was our first championship, man. It's like having your first child, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's special. It's special. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> no, no consideration for the, the old five championship team or the old eight championship team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't throw that out there, man. <laughs> I just, yeah. No consideration. Did hey. you even, even you think about those two teams, man? <laughs> we love you guys. We laid the foundation, which is the hardest thing to do. You're right. You said something just did. The foundation is the hardest thing to do. We just continue to add to build on the foundation. You said something just did. Blocks, man. Just can you know? So we love you guys, but hey, you know somebody had to get it started. Yeah, yeah, I, right. I can tell you this much. I agree with you because the Hall of Famers that were on those two teams, well, you said the seventy, what well, the seventy-five team, the Hall of Famers, man, just. And like you say, LC should be in the hall as well. So, man, you guys, that was a special group that yeah. was assembled. Well, so think, we may never see something like that ever again. Yeah. I think there's nine players that are in, and then you got Chuck Noll and you got Dan Rooney. So, and then there are other players that should be in there. And then wow. with the scout, Bill Nunn. Did you ever know Bill Nunn? Uh, I think I yeah. may, may have met him. One time. Yeah, so I know he, he, he I know he died a few some years ago. He's going in this year, but yeah. But man, look, you 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 are part of a great organization. You should be proud of uh you know, proud of that, proud of your accomplishments and, and uh you know, we just need to uh especially as young black athletes, man, we need to continue to work with our young people and, and just encourage them, you know, whether they go to an HBC school or not. They HBCU school. They, they need to know, you know, what this journey is all about as far as we are as black people. And, and we mm-hmm. have the platform to do it. So our young people should be bigger. They should be better than we are. They should achieve more than what we did. Yes, sir. No, no doubt about it, Mel. And we appreciate you joining us here on All Things Covered, man. It was yes, an honor chopping up with a legend, a legend who backpedaled just like me and Pat P have done it yes, as well. Indeed. It's an honor. Third round selection from Southern University. They, they still got a great band and Mel said they had a great band back in the seventies, sure. uh, when he was playing the late sixties, when he was playing there. 57 career interceptions. Defensive player year 1975 and a four-time champion with the best organization in the National Football League. Mel, thank you for joining us here on All Things Covered. I can't wait to catch up with you on the ranch when you come to Georgia, yes. so make sure you let me know. We're coming out there. You got your contacts back. Good luck to you, man. All right, thank I you, I appreciate Mel. it, Mel. Thanks again to the legend Mel Blunt, and thanks to everyone listening to this episode of All Things Covered. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star rating on Apple podcast we'll be back again next week where you can expect all things will be covered peace peace jeremy renner returns to paramount plus for a brand new season of the original hit series mayor of kingstown my job is to create a balance avoid a war from executive producer taylor sheridan co-creator of yellowstone there's some new players in town and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.